today on CityCast Philly. Someone's birthday is coming up. No, it's not mine. But our beloved Philly fanatic will be celebrating his special day on April 25th. Now that the Phillies baseball season is underway, I'm curious, how did we even get this tall, green, furry creature? And is the fanatic the best mascot in baseball? It's Thursday, April 20th. I'm Trina Nuri, and here's what Philly's talking about. AJ Mass, you're a writer and editor at ESPN and the author of the book, Yes, It's Hot in Here, which chronicles the history of mascots. And you yourself were a mascot. You were Mr. Met for the New York Mets. So as the expert of mascots, how did Philly end up with a green giant creature from the Galapagos as its mascot? Well, you know, you have to go back to, I think, uh, the mid-70s uh, and San Diego, of all places. The San Diego, uh, there was a radio station out there that wanted to advertise its music, its concerts, uh, ticket giveaways, Easter egg hunts, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it bought a chicken suit. And it's, it said, let's get a guy, put him in the chicken suit and have him running around all of San Diego handing things out. We'll get we'll generate some buzz. It seemed like a dumb idea. Probably was a dumb idea, but for whatever reason, they hired this college kid named Ted Giannoulis, who jumped in the suit and was born, born to be a mascot. And he started making a deal with them, like, hey, you know, why don't I go to the baseball games, like the football games here in San Diego? I'll get me in for free. I'll represent the <laughs> radio station. And, you know, I get to see the games and you get a little publicity. You don't even have to pay me for these things. I'll, you know, I'll just do my own thing. You know, within a year, everyone is talking about the San Diego chicken, the San Diego chicken. Oh, my God, look at the San Diego chicken. The radio station tried to get rid of Ted, fire him. Um, they thought, you know, he was not necessarily representing the radio station anymore and he was kind of doing it for himself. And mm. in fairness, he was. Uh, <laughs> but all of baseball, whenever the Phillies and other teams would go into San Diego, the players would just get excited. Look at this chicken. Look at this chicken. And they start talking to the management back at home in Philadelphia, the Phillies. And we're saying, hey, is this something maybe we want to do here? Because it's it's exciting. Like, we, it really gets the fans excited about it. So did Philly have a mascot already? Yes and no. They okay. had Phil and Phyllis, which were these, like, they used to be, like, on the logo, like, this this colonial-looking people. Um, they brought out these giant porcelain paper mache type things on the field before the game just to stand there. You, it wasn't a character. It was just more like a, a prop, a Got set it. piece. You actually, you can still see them today. Um, they they used them for about a year, and they're actually at Storybook Land uh, in Atlantic County, New Jersey. They're like way in the back. You can see the original <laughs> Phil and Phyllis there. Okay. Uh, but it wasn't a mascot per se. But the team was like, you know what? We can try it out. Maybe we don't want to do it the way San Diego does it because, again, Ted is the chicken was a little more um, aggressive and of the time, very you know, misogynistic. You know, one of the big things out there with all the sailors in San Diego um, you know, they they would love it to see a girl's tank top be pulled up. Ha ha ha. Oh, I see. Ugh, cringy. Very cringy. Very inappropriate. But in the 70s, you know, different different times, you know, and, and you know, in fairness, with a little alcohol, I'm sure, you know, is it any different than Mardi Gras and bees? Yeah, you know? I see. As long as if, it's, if it's voluntary, sure. But um, so the Phillies said, you know, let's do it. But. A little more family friendly. <laughs> right, because I was going to ask you, like, who 
who are mascots really for, right? And like, was there like a focus group to try to get approval from like kids or adult sports fans? How did this Phillies organization make the fanatic appeal to everyone? I think there's a certain alchemy there that you can't put your finger on as to whether or not a mascot's going to work or not. Uh, I th- it's, especially at the time when there really wasn't a lot of mascots out there. The, yeah. You know, it was the chicken and nobody else. The fanatic was, you know, pretty much doing it for the first time on the East Coast. Um, it kind of is for, for the kids uh, in, in many ways. And whoever is in the mascot suit has to understand that, yeah, well, the grown-ups are there to drink, to have a good time, to let up some steam, to watch the baseball. The kids are probably there to see the mascot. And you have to be very aware of that. Um, but at the time, it was more just like, let's just entertain. Let's just... The team, did, the team did not have a plan. Dave Raymond has told me that when he, he got in the costume for the first time, he, he actually knocked on uh, Bill Giles' office door and said, um, what do you want me to do? No one told me what you <laughs> wanted me to do. Um, they were like, eh, have fun? Uh, you know, it, it basically it was very much a, uh, a steep learning curve. And I think... The successful mascots, of which the Fanatic is one of the most, you sort of take on the personality of the city that you're in. I don't think the Fanatic would work in other cities. I, I think the, his attitude is very Philadelphia. Yeah, and for our listeners, Bill Giles was a Phillies leader and part owner at one point. So Philly sports fans are very passionate and what was their reaction to the Fanatic when it first came on scene? Philly Fanatic did not come out on opening day. Came out, you know, mid mid to late April. So the season already started and everything. It was more like not a lot of a fanfare, not even a name at the time. No one knew what he was at the time. A lot of people on the first day thought he was just a, an over-exuberant fan who had made his own costume and just showed up. <laughs> Um, and I think a lot of that is is that plausible deniability. You know, if, if he's really awful, then the team is like, well, we don't know who that was. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then bury the costume <laughs> way beneath the vet. You know, so. But um, yeah, I just think the fans just immediately reacted to, to how Dave Raymond pre- performed in the suit. There was a lot of disco and dancing to it because it was the 70s. And it, it was definitely a feel for... Uh, a renegade attitude. You know, the mascot in all sports, but specifically in baseball, uh, the team doesn't see the mascot as part of the team because he's not. But the fans see him as part of the team because he gets to go on the field and he gets to interact with the players. So kind of a mascot is this dichotomy, kind of exists in both worlds, but also in neither. And so it's 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 a way for the fans to feel like they're part of the team. And, it, you know, if the team's losing, they can punch the mascot because they can't punch the players. <laughs> if the team is, is winning, they can touch the mascot and rub and, and high five with the mascot and feel like they're they're interacting with the team itself. So I think it serves a, a very, uh, a very cool and, and unique purpose. So it's safe to say that the fanatic experiment definitely worked. So how did, I guess, the influence of the fanatic really influence how other organizations create their own mascots? 
generally speaking, everyone from that point forward was trying to copy either the chicken or the fanatic and probably the fanatic. I don't think anyone's done it quite as well as Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia organization is a gold standard in terms of how they handle their mascot. I'm so jealous that, um, you know, both uh, Dave Raymond and Tom Burgoyne have been able to work with the Phillies. And the fact that those are the only two names on that list speaks to the longevity and the loyalty of the organization towards the mascot. Right. And Dave and Tom wore the fanatic suit. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Pittsburgh tried to create the, the pirate parrot shortly after the Phillies brought Dave Raymond in to kind of help train their their mascot. The costumes, this big, like, amorphous blob <laughs> of a thing. Um, that That's kind of what you expect from a mascot. You expect it to be, like, some sort of giant, larger-than-life creature rather than, oh, we're, you know, we our team name is this. We must get a this. You know, right. it's, it's you don't need that. Um, you know, other sports as well. When you create your mascot, you know, I mean... Gritty isn't gritty really. I mean, yes, he's a giant orange Babadook, but he's 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 a he's an, a version of the fanatic, you know. All right, well, I gotta ask you, who do you think is a better mascot, Gritty or the fanatic? Oh well, Gritty needs to put in the t- put in the hours. You gotta put in the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in fairness, Gritty should not have worked. Should Why? not have worked, and certainly not not as quickly. It takes time to develop a mascot that that has that personality and everything. Um, I think the negative reaction to Gritty out of the gate by everybody else kind of uh, galvanized the whole city to say, oh, you don't like Gritty? Well, we love Gritty. We'll show you. I, I think that helped. Um, I, no, I think, I think Gritty's fantastic. I just, it, it, it was surprising even to, even to Dave uh, Raymond, who helped create the character. It was surprising how quickly it caught on. Interesting. And I got to shout out Franklin the dog for the Sixers. And, and there's, there's an example, like... It's it's a dog. Like it doesn't quite work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, the mascots in basketball are the. It's, it's a completely different, pardon the pun, animal. Look, baseball. It, it's a sport where there's a lot of downtime. Even with the pitch clock now, there's a lot of downtime, and there's interaction with the fans. And there's you know, fans don't mind interacting with somebody in between innings, even in between pitches. Hockey and basketball, there's a lot of action on the court, on the ice, and with basketball, they are not just interacting, they are doing the gymnastics and the dunks and the flips and everything. There's a reason why a good number of the professional NBA mascots come from Arizona State Gymnastics. Like, there's a reason. They gotta do flips and and do the dunks and all all those stunts. you don't do that in baseball. In baseball, you stick your hand out for, for a handshake and then quickly switch to the other hand and then switch to the other hand and the kid laughs. You're golden. <laughs> I love when the fanatic like shakes his belly and goes, woo, <laughs> That's like my favorite part. <laughs> oh, or the, you know, the, uh, the the tongue that, you know, shoots out. It's like... It's, yes, yeah, that like long red tongue. <laughs> there, there are quirks to the mascot, the, the, the Philly fanatic that are uniquely the Philly fanatic. And again, it, it comes down to, uh, it's not the costume per se, but it's what the performer can do with the costume uh, that becomes part of the character. And and one of the reasons, that, uh, one of the major reasons the fanatic has been so successful is it was Dave Raymond from the get-go till 93, and then Tom took it over in 94 and has been doing it ever since. So, um, you know, you get, you get that kind of continuity in character um, it shows, and it shows in the performance. It's a lot different from these other organizations, some of them who 
say, okay, interns, who draws the short straw? Oh, you get to be Fred Bird today. <laughs> you know? That's no, no way to run an organization or a mascot who is the single most important PR tool at a team's disposal, and yet you're going to put some you know, college intern in the suit? Uh, I don't get it. Why do you think mascots like the Fanatic are so enduring in our city? I, I think Philadelphia in particular, um, the Fanatic came around and the team started winning, and that certainly helps accelerate the beloved nature of it. But it's also, you know, you're really rooting for laundry when you root for a baseball team. What do you mean by that? I mean, players get traded, and now you no long, they're no longer the person you root for. Players retire. Um, you know, I may go to the game today and take, you know, my kid with me. None of the players from when I grew up are still part of the team. It's a completely, you know, but the fanatic's still there. The fanatic is still there. It's the same mm-hmm. fanatic doing the same stuff and the same traditions. Mm-hmm. And that matters. That's part of it. That's something that you can share. So when, you know, if you are an eight-year-old kid going to Phillies games in the late 70s, you can share that same feeling with your kid when you take him today, even though Tug McGraw is not pitching anymore. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of, of, oh, I get it, the fanatic. What does it say about Philly as to why we love this green creature so much (laughs) i think uh it's the attitude philly fanatic from the get-go was that kind of in your face take no prisoners kind of mascot you know ball of energy way too big for the costume way too big for the stadium just barreling through and saying you know you're not going to stop me you are not going to stop me and and that's kind of the energy of the city you know i'm from new york originally i'm a new yorker but I recognize the energy of Philadelphia when I, when I go and visit the city. And it's, it's its own unique thing. All right. That's AJ Mass, writer and editor at ESPN. Thanks so much for joining me on CityCast Philly. My pleasure. It was a hoot. We'll include a link to AJ's book in the show notes. And we highly recommend it. It's really funny and informative. And here's what else Philly's talking about. The city reached a deal with the property owner of the University City townhomes. According to WHYY, the settlement includes 70 new affordable housing units, and each household will also receive up to $50,000. Another portion of the site will still be owned by IBID Associates and can be used for a separate development. And alligators are back in the news. This time, the city's animal care and control team removed one from a home in North Philly this week. According to KYW, a woman called ACCT Philly because her ex-husband had a four to five foot pet alligator living in the basement. Since they separated, she wanted the animal out of the house. I mean, me too. Now get this, this is the third alligator animal care and control had to deal with in a month. It is illegal to own an exotic and potentially dangerous pet in the city. It's time for the tip of the day, where we share a life hack for living in Philly. To celebrate the Fanatics' birthday, the Phillies are giving away free t-shirts to fans at the April 23rd game. Happy birthday, Fanatic, and go Phils! If you have a tip of the day, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215-259-8170. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. 
If you enjoyed this episode about the fanatic, tell your friend who is a huge baseball or Philly sports fan. Rate the show, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to sign up for our morning newsletter too. It's called Hey Philly. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. I was Chucky at Chuck E. Cheese. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Delightful.